scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of these things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But, when, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus. <clears throat> but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. From the heart. Sorry. <clears throat> For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. 
for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And, you know, sometimes all you got to do is just read a passage. And that's just the reality, whether you're by yourself or in front of other people. I mean, remember Sal, what was that, Christmas Eve service? He could barely choke through that one, you know, like, it just happens. It's amazing when you just let the Word be the Word and be the central piece, and you don't have to include a whole lot of other stuff to make it shine. It shines pretty good on its own. It's pretty amazing. Okay, First Peter. So, last time we were together, we spent some time talking about this man Peter. Remember that? The fisherman turned apostle. And uh, he got a new name. Do you remember what his new name was? Yeah, his new name was Cephas the Rock, right? He was Simon, really. That was his name. Got a new name, got a new destiny. Really just got a... And honestly, it was new for him, but it wasn't new in the heart of the Father. That was the plan the whole time. It's just he became aware of what the Father's heart, plans, and intentions were towards his life. And that is a beautiful thing when we come into relationship with God And then we start to discover what he already had in mind as a plan for our lives. It's like new to us because we're just figuring it out. But the Father's like, man, I already had this in place for you. But you wanted to zigzag all over. And I'm saying if you just stay close to my heart, we would have ended up here together anyways. It's beautiful when that happens. So... One thing that I hope that you took away from last time was that Peter, Simon, Cephas, he was a man that was marked. The mark on his life that changed him forever was God's grace. Changed him forever. He is the impulsive man that would jump out of a boat, that would stick his foot in his mouth, and then occasionally also say some really just winner things. He was all over the map. And he had an epic failure that we all know about and generations are well aware of. The reality also is, 
is that in that failure, he may have fallen apart, he may have become broken, but it was by no means the end. In fact, it helped build him towards what he was called to. Because in the kingdom, pain is never without purpose. Pain is never without purpose. So when we experience pain, when we experience difficulty, trials, hard things, it's not like God the Father saying, well, just go figure it out. Or maybe something good will come of this. He's saying, no, there's a, there's a purpose to this. Pain for sure. So purpose yourself to worship in the pain because then you're going to start to see and your eyes will be open as far as what I'm doing in your life and what I'm trying to build. So his life is marked by grace. And the crazy thing is, the beautiful thing is, when you have really experienced God's love, forgiveness, man, just his heart towards you, when I've experienced it towards me, if that's really happened, it literally changes your life forever. And it was not necessarily because of one sermon, a couple of worship songs, or a conference, or a Bible study. They'll build towards that, but the foundation is not that. The foundation is the God behind that that orchestrated those other events to happen and take place. And God the Father saying, man, just fall in love with me. I'm telling you. Fall in love with me. So Peter has been marked by that. And that's a beautiful thing. And I hope that, I really hope that in my lifetime, I hope in my boy's lifetime, in Julie's lifetime, you know, in my family's lifetime, I hope that our family carries the mark. Be like, you know what? They have been changed forever by grace. Forever. Like their family, they always seem to change us throughout the years and always seem to be getting better and shining more and having the Lord just speak more powerfully through their lives. Notice I said, I didn't say anything about perfection. I just said a continued state of surrender where God's glory is more evident. And that should really be a mark in all of our lives. Hopefully, you want that. <laughs> that would be a good and healthy thing. That's what the Lord wants for us. So, 1 Peter this morning. We're going to dive into 1 Peter. I'm going to warn you from the outset. You need your Bible open. So, if you don't have one open now, like, I, I'm, I'm not totally understanding that. We're here to dig in together, to learn together, to read together. There's great value and importance in opening up and looking at it and just thinking our way through it and looking at it. Because this morning what's going to happen is Peter, who's been marked by grace, he is actually going to highlight, he's going to assume some things that you and I, I don't know if everyone in this room kind of shares the same assumptions. So to read the letter and be like, yeah, sure, okay. Sounds good. Like, you can't just... You know what they say about assumptions. Right? So, it's important to know what he's assuming and why he's assuming that because believe it or not, the assumptions that he's going to be making are threads that go through this whole book, 1 Peter, and it goes through 2 Peter. And so, it's important for us, the reader, with the Holy Spirit indwelling... Say, man, what is, God, what are you saying through this? What are you trying to draw out? What are you trying to draw my attention to? I remember about 10 years ago, 
Sal was Sal Fellowship's here. He's, he's, he's one of the day oneers. There's a few day oneers here. He's a day oneer. He's a day one guy. Elks Lodge, you know, beer on the floor, sticking to the floor, you know, just crazy stuff. So he's a day one guy. So maybe like 10 years ago, he gives me a call. He's down in Florida. He's working on his, his first of his second math. This guy's like unbelievably educated. I don't know if you'd know if I talk with him, but he's unbelievably educated. What, Steve? I just want to say, Sal's one that helped me get this. There you go. Yes. <laughs> and it's hilarious. I've known him since he's 10, and I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. He is smart, but it's just, it's just funny. So he's working on his, second, uh, his first of second master's degree down in Florida, and he calls me up. He says, hey, um, he says, I'm in this Bible study, and they're talking about stuff, and he said, you know, I... I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm trying to figure this out. And he said, I don't feel like, you know, anybody's, you know, mean or has bad intentions. He, he said, but they're talking about things in such a way, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. I don't quite get it. I said, okay, you know, like, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? So he's like, you know, we're, they're talking about, you know, this way of, this doctrine, this way of thinking about God and the Bible. It's, there's, there's four or five different points that they're focusing on. And, you know, they're... they're they're talking about God's sovereignty and how, how big He is, and then they're also talking about our choice, and I, I'm not sure if I understand all of this. And, uh, you know, then he starts going further. He said, you know, he's like, man, I don't get it. You know, how, how much in control is God, and how much does our decisions and our choices impact and relate to that? That's a really simplistic way to put that, but to be honest with you, that very issue... It's not settled. It's been argued for a long time. It's been dividing people, dividing people for a long time. And in my heart of hearts, I really believe that we're going to dig in this morning. We're going to take a look at a couple of things that I think will be helpful to you. But I don't think it's going to give you a bottom line answer that you absolutely love and you feel like all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Because, to be honest with you, I think God, that was God's intention. There's just some things. He gives us a good amount, but He doesn't give us everything. And on the other side, we'll figure it out. So, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Let's take a look. The title of the message is called Chosen. Chosen. We're going to look at some things here. Verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, it's true, was an apostle, right? One of the twelve, walk with Jesus, he responded. Part of the inner circle. Not just the twelve, but also of the three. It says, to God's elect, everybody say elect. To God's elect. Strangers in the world, scattered throughout, and they have all these regions. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So, who is he writing to? He is writing to fellow believers, predominantly Jewish. 
we would fall into the Gentile category, non-Jewish people. Paul, who we've been reading about a lot in 1 Timothy, book of Ephesians, three-quarters New Testament, Paul's responsible for, his main calling was to the Gentiles, those that were not Jewish, like you and I. Peter, his primary concern and responsibility and calling was to those that was Jewish. So he's writing to all these that have been dispersed and scattered. Why? Because of persecution. There had been lots of killing of Christians. Lots of... And we're, when we say persecution, some people are like, you know, somebody looked at me cross-eyed in church today, or, you know, they snubbed me by the door, or, you know, my boss is giving me a hard time. I'm just saying... I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize or belittle those things that might be impactful to you, but what I am saying, when the Bible talks about persecution, it's at another level. If they confess to be a Christ follower, their lives, their families' lives, their kids, their wives, their husbands, it's on the line. If you confess and you say you believe that. Not even simply how well do you live it out, it's just the fact that would you say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Depending upon your reply, that could determine like, your fate very quickly. That's the world that they lived in. And parts of our world now in 2018 still live in that way. That's why it's important to pray for our brothers and sisters that we don't even know throughout the globe. That's the reality. And for many of missionaries that are on those front lines and in those places, they're posed with those questions. And if you spend any time reading news that's worthwhile, you read about these people and these places, and they say, yeah, I do believe in Jesus Christ. And in a moment, man, heads are cut off. Torture happens. So, in the West, we're, we're, we're kind of soft, to be honest with you. Soft serve ice cream, walking around everywhere. It's like, it was next level, real deal persecution, right, that the Bible refers to and talks about. And so he's writing to all of them have been dispersed. And so a common theme throughout this book is going to be persecution. So I want you to know that, be aware of that from the outset. It's going to be people that had enough courage to say that I am aligning my life with Jesus, knowing I very well might catch some flack at the very worst, it might cost me my life, but I'm not giving in or budging. He's reading to those types of people, struggling in that kind of life. Another common theme that runs through the book, so we said persecution, right? Other theme that's running through is the one I mentioned previously that Sal gave me a call, he asked about. It's this term called elect. Everybody say elect. Elect. So you may have heard of that phrase before, you may not have. Um, what he says here, he says to God's elect. And then he says in verse 2, have been chosen, title of the message, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And here's the problem that, that Saul was running into, and sometimes we can run into, and it's worthwhile to talk about here because it's right here, and the theme runs all throughout the book. The issue is God's sovereignty and our power of choice. If God is in control of everything, is he the one specifically, wholly, and totally responsible for those that will commit and give their lives to him and receive Jesus? 
Is he alone responsible? Is he the one that um, calls them, draws them, takes them? Or is it that God, yes, might control know everything, but it's all based on our choice, people's choices, how they choose to respond? So what is that work? How does that work? What does that look like? In the former example, if God does all of the choosing and all of the picking, the logical conclusion that follows is, well, if God created everybody, he knows everything, and he's responsible for handpicking everybody, he probably knows that he's going to create a large percentage of the population that's going to respond, or I should say, a small percentage of the population that will respond, and a large percentage that won't. So you can see how people can struggle with that idea because that seems very unfair. If you were God or I was God and we're creating people, I'm saying, well, so I'm going to create them, but I know they're destined for hell anyways, but I'll still use their lives in a certain way. You could see how like, if people thought about that kind of thing, which people should, you should be thinking about these things. You should be allowing challenges to happen. Or the other side, if it's just all about choice, who's to say you're an who's to say you have the right information to make the choice with? Did you hear it right that day? Are you even mentally capable? If people are mentally handicapped, how can they ever receive it and then even make a choice? Right? There's a lot of layers and elements to this. And typically it boils down to these two things. It boils down to a Calvinist sort of view on this, which a Calvinist view, they would, for the most part, for the most part, fall into the arena of God is pretty much in control. He picks and chooses. It was decided before they were even born, and God knows who they are because He chose them. They're the chosen. The Arminian they say Wesley, Arminian side, they would say, well, God, yeah, is in control, but it really comes down to the choice. There's enough grace on a person's life to give them a window to respond to who God is and respond to Jesus. Because on the Calvinist end, they would say, well, listen, man is inherently so evil Man doesn't even possess the ability to respond to a holy God. Because we were born in sin, we're so sinful, Jared couldn't even respond, even if he wanted to, because his life is dominated by sin. Whereas the Arminians would say, well, maybe that's true, born into sin, covered in sin, but we think that maybe there's like this window or a way, a kind of grace that can cover a person's life and give them an opportunity to respond. Those two vantage points and viewpoints, they're all over in churches and faith circles everywhere. And usually it's not asked, it's not asked like, are you a Calvinist or are you a Minion? People are just trying to figure out, you know, what's your vantage point and viewpoint on God's fairness and how He works with people? That's the main issue, right? I mean, when you go to work or I go to work, we get involved with conversations with people. At the end of the day, people just want to know, how fair is this God? Because from what I've heard, 
for most people that aren't connected to uh, biblically strong, Bible-based churches that have you know, people in it that are pursuing after God's heart, people here, there's just this God, there's a hell and a heaven, if you're not chosen, well, just tough luck. And how do you square that fairness? And how do you square with people? 2018, we have houses, we have food, we have things. Christians do. Christians, other countries, other parts of the world, they're going to die of starvation tonight. How do we square with that? How does that work? How does that make sense? And that's why I'm trying to express to you that I don't think God gives us a complete, completely exhaustive answer to all those questions. But he does give us an idea. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to put our hats on for a minute. We're going to put our Calvinist hat on. Everybody put your Calvinist, go like this. Put it on. Calvinist hat. Okay? Because I want to show you, through the Bible, legitimate places. So we have our Calvinist hat on. Okay? Alright. So let's go. Uh, Matthew 20. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to turn to a few different places. Because here's what's at stake. If we don't really quite, if we don't think about these things and consider what the Lord has to say about it, Peter's making this assumption that there's this people called God's elect. And like I said before, some people are very staunchly like, I'm a Calvinist. I'm an Arminian. My church, they're Calvinists. My church are Arminians. And like I said before, you know, there's some issues that. You know, some issues are majors. You know, you just you can't get away from Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get away from that. Um, you can't get away from that. The Last Supper, like in His blood, there's forgiveness of sins. You know, that's just a non-negotiable. Being a Calvinist or Arminian, it's divided way too many people for a long time for not really great reasons. So let's take a look at this Matthew 20 here. Here's what happens. I'll summarize it as we're looking at it. It's a parable of the workers in the vineyard. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, sent them into the vineyard. About the third hour he went out, saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, Hey, uh, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and about the ninth hour and did the same thing. Excuse me, about the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long and, not, and doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said. He said to them, Come work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers, pay them their wages. Beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men, who were hired last, worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. He answered, he said, friend, am I not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. 
I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do that? What I want to do with my money, can I do what I want to do with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's interesting that sometimes, like a Calvinist, Calvinist hat, to look at that passage, right? Grace was not determined based on the merit, based on how much they worked. Their pay wasn't based on that. Like, if you got hired late in the day and you got paid as much as somebody that had been working all day and they still got paid, the one that got hired at the end that got paid, they're getting the same amount of grace and favoritism and forgiveness as the one that labored and worked all day. The idea being, the Calvinist hat would say, hey, listen, whether or not you think God is unfair for specifically choosing people is kind of irrelevant because His grace is not only rewarded to people based on their merit. It's based on who He chooses and how He chooses to give it out. Calvinist hat. Okay? Here's one of the strongest passages. Acts 9.15. Turn there. Acts 9, verse 15. This is when we have Saul, who became Paul, got tossed off his horse. Remember that? He was driving on the road to Damascus on his horse to persecute Christians. Bright light came, knocked him off the horse. God spoke to him. And really, only he saw it. Everybody around, they they didn't see or hear all of it, but they knew something happened. Kind of an odd situation. Verse 15 says, But the Lord said to Ananias, so God had set up Ananias to go pray for Paul. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen. Everybody say chosen. chosen. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. And before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Seems pretty clear there. Calvinist hat. Who did the choosing? God did the choosing. He is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. Sort of seems like God had made up His mind there. Again, another strong Calvinist passage. Really one of the strongest ones. One last one. Galatians 1, verse 15. Galatians 1, verse 15, says this. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by His grace... Allegedly, God had set Paul apart from birth before he lived, before he did anything. Paul is saying, God, God called me right then and there. God did the choosing. Again, Calvinist hat on. Very strong passages. I hope that you see, it's really clear, God did the choosing. Right? So let's look at the other side. Just a few verses on the other side. 
The Arminian side. The side that says, well, I don't know if I totally like that strong Calvinist side because it seems to completely leave out the power of choice of an individual. So here's the Arminian side. Here's some things, the verses that they would point to. 1 Timothy, we were there not too long ago, so you should be able to find that one pretty easily. 1 Timothy 2.4 1 Timothy 2.4 Starts in verse 3. It says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The Arminians are saying, hey listen, if God is doing the choosing and He wants all people to respond to Him, how come not everybody does? So that's what the Armenians would say, listen, the choice matters. And then they'd point to this passage. So now you put on your Arminian hat. Put on your hats. Put it on. Some of you guys still got your Calvinist hat. I guess you can leave it on. That's okay. But put your Arminian hat on for a minute. But this one specifically says, who wants all men to be saved. It's saying God's heart for all people to be saved and respond. And the Arminians would say, listen, the issue that's getting in the way is the fact that people would choose to not be, repent, be repentful. They would choose to not respond. Again, Arminian hat. John 3.16. That's like the banner verse, right? The banner verse. John 3.16. That's like the Sunday school verse of all time. You don't know what's going on in Sunday school class? Just say John 3.16 and... You're going to get some kind of points. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes. Again, another issue of choice, right? So His Son died for God so loved the world that He gave His Son for whoever might believe. Strong Calvin say, listen, that God already made the choice. Like, why? It doesn't have to come down to that. It comes down to if God chose them or not. So again, Arminian hat. And we'll do one last one. Romans 2, 4. Romans 2. There's a lot of these. I just want to highlight a couple of places. It's important that we use our minds from time to time in a biblically strong way to make some sense of things. So I just want to help you with that. Romans 2, verse 4, says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? God's kindness, His patience, leads people towards repentance. So the Armenians are saying, hey listen, like, it's all about who's being chosen, and why, is there some to, why does there seem to be this picture of this God that 
pursues after people and waits for them and wants for them to respond. So you got the Calvinist side, you got the Arminian side. It's not good to be divided, to be honest with you. Of course, you're going to, well, what do you think? Oh, that's what you're thinking, right? What I think and what I believe, I don't want it to become your belief. I do want you to start with the Bible. I remember not too long ago, somebody sent me a text message. There's nobody in here. Somebody sent me a text message. They're all like, who did? Who did? <laughs> who sent it to them? Nobody in here. Um, unfortunately, like, I haven't seen them since, so I don't know if that's good or bad. But. So, sent me a text message, and uh, they're asking something, and they said, hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, I, I knew who it was, so it was, I, it was, it's important for me not to just say, hey, what I think, so that way you then think what I think, because I don't want you to think what I think. I want you to worship who I worship. I want you to filter what I'm going to say through what he has already said. And so I know that person didn't want to hear that answer, but that's what I told them. And then I, and I said, well, what, is, what passages do you like that are helping you navigate your way through thinking about this? And the response back to me was, I'm not asking you for that. I'm asking what you as my pastor think about this. And I responded back and I said, well, and, and I hate texting these things. I don't like it. You got a question like this, call me. You know what I'm saying? Like, call, let's talk about these things. That's adult stuff. You talk about stuff that's important. So, the text, so then I text back, I said, listen, I said I, think, I said, I think there's tremendous amount of value just for you to at least look at a couple passages. And I sent them a couple. And let's maybe just talk after that. And they're really adamant. They said, no, I, I need to know where you stand on this. So I told them. And then I got the text back, okay, thank you. So you know what that's code for. <laughs> that's code for I don't think that, I don't believe that, I won't see you anymore. That's what that's code for. It's just crazy stuff, you know what I mean? So we, thinking about these things, and that, this, that conversation was not about Arminianism and, and Calvinism, it was about something else these things all have the potential to really divide in ways that just are not right, not healthy. We can debate. People can debate. It's fine. The idea is not to have a church family where we agree on every single point point. we see everything the same way. We just won't. But the idea is to believe in the God who is in charge of all things, that has all the answers, and be like, listen, we might differ on some things, and I might not think the same thing you think about healing. I might, th- might not think the same thing you think about end times. I might not think the same thing you think about the flood. So what, now we're not going to be friends? Now we can't partner in ministry together? Like, I don't... That was n- that's not God's heart. And, and I'm trying to bring this, this subject up and just talk about it a little bit, because... What's at stake is unity. And it's important for us to know that and to work towards preserving that. Because sometimes, as some people think, and I've been around a lot of these people, they hang around you long enough, they try and figure out, okay, where are we different? And once they figure out where we're different or where we think differently, that's all they want to talk about now. Because there's like this thing inside some people, I just, you need to think like me, I need to persuade you, because obviously the way I think about it is better than the way that you do. 
And if you get too much into certain doctrines and thinkings, and we're talking about this morning, Calvinism and Arminianism, the really dangerous thing to do is, listen, mine is more biblically sound than yours. And so you need to come over to my side and see it that way. Man, that's just, why, why are we going there? And why are we doing that? I just shared with you, I think three from each. I've, I don't know. But there's a lot of, in the Bible on each side. And my answer to it is, God is both. He's both. And it looks differently some of the time. In other words, He works different ways with different people. In different seasons. We'll hear testimonies, or maybe you've heard testimonies, in churches of people's lives, and they say, listen, the hound of heaven sniffed me out. He came after me. I, he just pursued me. I mean, he just got me. Personally, when I hear that, I, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't resonate super... I don't have that experience. I don't feel like, really. I feel like there's an element of that, but I, I don't feel it strongly like they have. Like, you can tell there's something going on in that person, and that's the reality of their life. They've been passionately pursued and it's evident and they know it. Then you hear other testimonies and you hear people talking about, well, you know, somebody took me to this Bible study. You know, they took me to, this, to some church. So I read my Bible. Got around some people. Started doing stupid things. But then they came back to the thing. And, and then over time, you see sort of this like unfolding of surrender that's happening. And then they get to a place where they say, all right, Lord, like, I'm, I'm all in. I'm yours. That's a very different testimony than the hound of heaven coming after him again. And so God works different ways with different people. So when Peter's talking about the elect, he's talking about chosen people of God for sure. How are they chosen? I don't know. I don't know. I think God knows all things. I think He knows who's going to respond. I know that His viewpoint is not linear like ours. It's not linear. Right? His is outside. His is outside. Like He's got, the Bible uses the term we just read about, foreknowledge. That word is used a lot in the Arminian circle. But the idea of foreknowledge is that He can see the beginning from the end. So he's already, He already knows who's going to make what choices. And who's going to respond in what ways. So like I said, I think God does, does both at, at different times with different people. I don't think it's a mistake for us to say, you know, and it's been prayed for in this church before by different people. God, just bring your elect out that are just fighting against you. Just bring your elect, your elect. But that phrase, that, right, that word has been used. I think we should pray for the elect. I don't know if that should be the whole thing that we always talk about all the time. There's a, I think there's a father that pursues as well. And it's, it's worthwhile to think about these things. Like, I think about, you know, Moses, the burning bush. <laughs> Which one of us here with the burning bush, and, and he's like, I, I can't go talk. I can't talk. I, I, I can't do that. He's like, yes, you will. Who's saying no there? How much of a choice did he have? Everybody's saying yes. I don't care who you are. That's what it looked like for him. Other people throughout the Bible, it's like he pursued after them and they just gave their lives over. 
it's just, it just looks different in, in different ways in different people's lives. And for church, churches or people within a church to be divided on where they fall on a Calvinistic side or Arminian side is a, just a great mistake. I, I, and when I say that, that doesn't mean, oh, those are hot-button things. Don't talk about those in small groups or in other things because people won't agree. You only talk about things people agree on. Because sometimes that's the message that gets delivered in Christian circles. You only talk about things you agree on because you want to know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because Christians do a horrible job of disagreeing well. They just disagree by smearing the other person. Let me trash you to make mine look better because, you know, mine's definitely better. So we've got to get better at this stuff. It's healthy to talk about these things. And to be involved with it. And listen, if you're in a small group, or this comes up at men's group, men's study, women's group, teens, wherever these things come up, have a conversation. It might even get a little heated. That doesn't mean you don't come to church next week. That just means you had something passionate you want to talk about. You're just trying to figure out. So the elect, right? Calvinistic, Arminian. I don't know. He works different ways at different times with different people. I've seen them just pursue and just grab people, literally snatch them. And then for other people, it's sort of just a slower thing over time. And his kindness was just displayed over time and it just led someone to repentance. So, yes. High five, Mom. Yeah. It's on the video, too. So. Sure, someone's got a negative comment on that. You can't do that in church. Give me a break. So, yeah, I just want to, these things come up, you know. And, and again, I'm, I hope that you hear me say, it's not uniformity that we're all about, or strict conformity. It's, it's, we're pursuing after the king and trying to learn his heart and understand this thing together. There are majors that, that okay, that, you know what? If we're in a group and around a group of people or we're in a church and they're saying, listen, there's all kinds of ways to God and to Jesus. All kinds of ways. Just figure out your path. You can't stay there. That's one that you do really divide on. In a church, in a circle, and there's, well, Jesus, a good man, a great prophet, it's unbelievable what he did. But... You know, there's other ways to heaven other than, you know, what he did. you got to leave that. You just can't be around it. Now, that doesn't mean, if you get involved with a conversation and they really hold on to something like that strongly, that doesn't mean you just leave the conversation, though. You could have a great opportunity to have a strong discussion where you're not smearing and not trashing and not pulling out, well, God said, you know, and then doing that thing. Just going through it. And unfortunately, like, we're not known for that. We are not known. The Christians are not known for just biblically being grounded and sound, trying to hear and just disagree well. We all have room to grow there. We'll throw a sarcastic snide thing in there or just kind of a little downput or something. We could do better. We could do better. So there's no way we're getting to the rest of First Peter. 
<clears throat> but I think, I think it's healthy for us to come to the approach with God. He's sovereign and in control of all things, all time, and, and knows everything. But it's not at the cost of our response and obedience. Oh, that'll just get done. God will just make that happen. I don't know if I totally buy that. I know that He does have people in place that He does want to get done. And, and honestly, maybe, maybe if I don't step up to the plate, He'll get somebody else to fill the shoes and step up and get it done. But He's looking for things to get done. And He's looking for willing, surrendered people to partner with His plans and purposes. So yeah, He wants things to get done. He's going to make sure that they do. But He's looking for surrendered people that say, yes, amen. Spend it as we see fit. I'll, I'll do it. Amen. That's what He's looking for. Alrighty, so let's hand out the elements for communion, okay? We'll break some bread together as fellow Calvinists and Arminian. There you go. Thanks. No, I'll get after it, it's okay. <clears throat>